Hello there, this is Dr. Casey Bradley, and you're listening to the Real P3 Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the real pork producers around the world. I hope you enjoy. Hi everyone, welcome back for part three of three, the highlights for Midwest ASAS meetings this year. As I said in the first episode, I want to thank ASAS for pulling off a great meeting. There's a lot of volunteers, a lot of committees, and a lot of employees that put a huge effort into making these events successful. Even though we weren't there in person, everyone involved did a phenomenal job of putting this on. It was a great experience virtually, even though I missed my colleagues. But I also want to thank and highlight all the students, all the professors, all the research. A lot of times we see a 12-minute presentation and we make a decision based on that. But it takes countless hours on the farm, in the lab, and then writing and coming up with ideas to further swine nutrition and swine research and for you producers to make valuable contributions. So I want to thank you all that put in the time and effort to highlight your research this last month at the meetings. Thank you so much. You did a great job. Your work doesn't go unnoticed, and our industry is ever grateful for your dedication. So before we go into the last episode, as I said, lots of good things to take away But I think the most organized person who took detailed notes can give you exact author names and abstract numbers is my friend, Anna DeSosa, with IFF, which was formerly DuPont. And she's going to discuss some of her highlights from the event. So stay tuned. Well, hello, Anna. How are you doing today? I am doing very good, Casey. Hope you are too. Yeah, I wish we had some sunshine, but hopefully spring's on its way. We, we are having some beautiful days in North Carolina, I'll tell you that. I've beautiful seen. Beautiful and sunny and, oh, and good temperature, around the 70s, but it's going to go away today. Oh. We're going to survive it. Well, what was interesting is you got to enjoy the sunshine this week while attending Midwest Animal Science. As we all know, that could be either snow or nice spring weather. So yes. This episode's about highlights of Midwest Animal Science. For our listeners, if they don't know, it's one of the key scientific meetings for swine uh, nutrition and, well, just swine in general of the year for the U.S. And so what are some of your takeaways from this week's events that can help producers here in the U.S. and globally? I believe that there were several presentations that they caught my attention, that I think they are changes that they are coming especially because today we see that in the last five, six, seven years, the genetics of the pigs that we use are very different than they were 10 years ago or 15 years ago. So we are seeing new research done in amino acid testing and mineral testing and some other things, even like in uh, uh, methodologies on how they feed the animals and different times of the, the the age of the animal or what they are feeding the animal, causing different results in their performance or even in results such as livability or uh, mortality, which I think it is quite interesting, actually. So anything sticks out in your mind? Let's, let's start with one and, and kind of talk through one of the presentations, see if it's on my list, oh. too. 
One that I have actually, it, it, it was two because he presented in two different parts of the present, the, the meetings. And I watched the two and I mixed both in one uh, mix here because uh, it was 171 and 172, the numbers of the, the presentations. It was with uh, King Wong, Wong B. Kwan from uh, University of Illinois. Some of the presentations have uh, Jose Soto from uh, Ajinomoto and Hans Steins of course, for, from Illinois. And he was talking about the, the amino acids valine, isoleucine, and tryptophan in relation to leucine in the diets, especially today that we use high levels of uh, DDG, DDGS mm-hmm. from corn, uh, where you may get diets that you'll have high leucine. When you have a high leucine, you'll have a negative impact on growth performance. And you'll have a negative impact also in nitrogen retention of those animals. And even uh, some effect on hypothalamic serotonin for those animals, which I think it has an, some part of the effect that it is in other daily, uh, intake for those animals. One thing that they also mentioned is that when there is an excess leucine, there was an increase in the catabolism of the all the branching amino acids. Hmm. So he mentioned that it's very important to align those amino acids and understand that when you have a high leucine, increasing tryptophan and valine might be important to cover the effects of the high leucine. So in a way, the, the next amino acid to be, to be uh, missing is not going to be the same. Now in your mind, so you cannot keep a a list in your mind that is forever the same. So I thought that this was quite interesting, and I would support people to go and watch it because today I was watching some other presentations, and I thought that there were more people watching presentations. Mm-hmm. So if you still want to go and you side for the for the the Midwest Animal Science, go look for it because it is quite interesting. One of the presentations that I thought that it was extremely interesting in my mind, it was on the Outstanding Young Research Award Symposium. And uh, there were two there. There was one from uh, uh, Mariola Gresca Deville. If I'm Mm -hmm. killing her name, I'm sorry. That's life. And she talked about calcium and phosphorus and sound nutrition which I thought that was really interesting because with all the things that we see in terms of formulating and and understanding calcium and phosphorus relationships in the diet for different characteristics of animals, young or reproductive animals, you always think also that you are using phytase in whichever level you want it to use, whichever type of phytase you want to lose, to use, and that will cause a difference on how you you maintain that ratio to not cause issues in the response of these animals. But when Vanessa Lagos presented the requirement of calcium and phosphorus for growing pigs, she put a slide there that it just blew my mind in a way because she showed the standard total tract digestibility for calcium and for phosphorus relationship in four different 
ages for animals. Uh, they're going finished from 11 kilograms up to 130 kilograms. And uh, she showed that for growth performance, that ratio reduces between calcium and phosphorus, like from 1.4 to up to 1.1 in the 130 uh, kilogram animal. But when you look at the response of for bone ash, this starts at 1.7 to 1, and it increases to 2.3 to 1. And it's like, how do you get that in your mind? It's like, I understand that. But the important comment that she made is that this ratio for the bone ash might be very important for reproduction animals. So when you are raising animals for reproduction, you might have to find a way to feed them a diet that is different than the diet that you feed to the growth finishing animals that will last six months. Oh, amen. I agree with you. Um, and I think Dr. Crenshaw's lab and Dr. Stein's lab has really led the way. They've taken a couple different approaches and uh-huh. I'd like to see Dr. Stein's lab combine with Dr. Crenshaw a little bit with the D part and see, you know, what is the influence of D different sources level? um, Because that to me, that's all tied together and bone health. And, you know, I think that's the number one problem I see in producers rations is we're raising gilts, but they're not fed like gilts or fed like finisher pigs. And so to change that mindset. Oh, yeah, and I would agree with you because uh, when my nine years that I was at Smithfield on the, on the formulation, we have several restrictions on how we fed the animals because we didn't have space to produce a different diet for the reproduction mm-hmm. animals. So we have to manage in a way that it was it was horrible, nutritionally speaking, in that sense, because we are not preparing those animals to be reproductive animals, but it fit what we have available to us. It gets you against the wall and it's like, okay, what am I going to do? And and that's kind of scary for you to say that because Smithfield did not have room for a different ration. I get it. Mill productivity, throughput, that's a big driver in in big systems, big mills. Yes. What's it going to take to get us to change? What is it going to take? There was a lot of conversations this week Another young scholar um, that's at Holden Farms now on guilt development. Mariana 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 Yeah. What's it going to take for us to wake up, come together, and get it fixed? I I had several of those conversations when I was at Midfield. And uh, (laughs) uh, me and some other friends that we worked late at night, we would be talking about these things. And, oh, we could do this and this and that and move everything to this place. But then you have other directors in the company, oh, but that to be too costly. It's like how costly it is for you to grow the animals that you need to grow in a better way. And I know that uh, especially in Smithfield, when we look at their uh, system of production, in the East, they have today four divisions, I believe. It's not, no, three divisions, not four as it was when I was there. One of the feed meals, I know that it is not fully occupied, but it's far from the others. But I believe that they should make all the reproductive there because they have a condition to make specific diets in a better way and set days to do that and travel to the, to the places where they should go. 
but I don't know if they will ever make that decision mm-hmm. because, and it goes back to sense on a, on a truck in a, and I would go to fights, real <laughs> fights about that. They, oh, but you have to put more feed in the truck. And I would say to them, are you going to feed a feed that is more expensive to this animal that they don't need because it's cheaper to carry more feed? Really? When 70% of the cost of the pig or 65% of the cost of the pig is feed? I don't understand that part. We would like to take this break to thank our sponsors, the Sunswine Group. NutriSign, Swine Nutrition Management, and Pig Progress. Without their support, this adventure would not be possible. So now back to our episode. I think one of the things we're lacking, and I've asked somebody else about tools, I think something that we're really lacking, and I think we're on the edge of really getting there, is appropriate models, right? That take into account... And I'm not sure even if the models, economic models are being developed, think about bend space on the farm, truck space, legal requirements, like, um, you know, depending on what state you're hauling feed in, your your weight load and the time of year could be totally different, you know, pothole season in the winter versus summer, weight load restrictions and things. And, yeah. you know, we need more robust models, I think, to really say, what's this cost? You know, and then I could say we need to more do more guilt development salary research too, yeah. but that's costly and, and that takes yeah. not only money but time. Uh, why do I want to wait two years for data, Casey? I need to know today. I got this problem now. This yeah. is what I'm gonna focus on. Who cares about what two years is? I you know what uh, one thing that always reminds me is uh, Kyle Kolb from uh, JBS, uh, Mandy Garrett from there. They did uh, outstanding job there in working on implementation of feed in the farms that they didn't have before. Because that was that's something that people think that is easy. It is easy if everything works as it's planned. Mm-hmm. But uh, don't forget that you have people in the middle that they don't do their part. You get in a farm, and uh, you go to the box, the mailbox that's there, and you open, and there is not space to put a pin inside because it's full of paper tickets that they should have picked once at every delivery and look what kind of feed they received. And they don't do that in some places. No, you're right. And it's, everybody it's wants scary. to blame the feed, but to me, and we talk precision, ideal proteins, precision ratios. What, it's I'm impossible sorry, to I, go there. It's impossible. We can't be perfect because there's no. two. I, I think the best description of uh, the feed system that I heard, it was from uh, Dr. Uh, Rebecca Robbins when she was at Smithfield. We were having, I was traveling with her visiting customers and she was uh, talking about some things about the feed. And I told her, like, well, I try to do my best to have a better implementation. But I know that the feed in the farm is seen with other eyes. And she told me, feed in the farm is seen like Christmas that is going to come. <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh. See, if that's the way, it's, it was going to be very hard to fix it. But it is not. I think the models will help a lot. 
but the models can be used also to train the people in the farm on what it, how it's important for them to do their part in the farm to link the two sides so we will have the correct implementation of the services because they are the most most important and most expensive part of this business. So it's hard to understand when people don't do anything to fix the problem. Yeah. Yeah. So any more interesting thoughts from... Um, Well, I'm going to to tell you about one that I thought that was interesting in the, the Swine Translation Symposium that there was a very good one with Caleb Schull about use of cameras to predict extras in uh, in Mm -hmm. ovulation, which I think that is absolutely interesting. I heard uh, many years ago, someone that was talking about uh, a similar system, but it was not with cameras. It was with RFIDs Mm -hmm. and the, the males were in the middle and they have a point of contact from the guilds in the south to come and the, from their pens to check the male. And they knew that how many times the female got to that location would show that they were close to the heat. So that was an interesting one. But this one, I also thought that cameras is, it is amazing the amount of technology that is in there. And Aidan Conway was talking about all the technology that is around in all different technologies in in locations of dairy science, swine science, poultry, everywhere. A lot of it today is visual. And to this morning, I watched a, a post from uh, Rebecca Robbins about uh, a technology from uh, Denmark showing how to count pigs. I needed that a couple weeks ago, by the way, so bad. <laughs> it, and it's amazing. It shows the corridor. And then it shows the pigs going, the numbers coming. Amazing. I thought that was super. And the best thing that I, I heard on the Aidan Connolly presentation is that the presenter asked him, what would you say about disruption? There is a way to stop disruption. And he said, disruption is going to happen. There is nothing that's going to stop it. Just for you. I know. Well, I'm a disruptor. Thank you. Um, And we're doing a dis. This would be recorded or replayed after the fact, but it'll be on YouTube. Check out Coffee and Careers in Animal Science. We'll have a special event on disrupt being a disruptor. So if you're interested, I think, I hope Anna would say I'm a disruptor of the industry. I I don't know, but yeah, because the whole camera thing. I'm glad that Caleb's testing that out. So maybe mm-hmm. he'll entertain my idea of the cookie bot. So uh, I'm trying to find somebody to build me the cookie bot, but uh, it, it's more than what it sounds. All right. She's, she's going to be a lot more than Betty Crocker on wheels, but. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. That's very good. Yeah. One other that I saw that the thought it was quite interesting it was about, uh, it was Cargill, a group in, from Cargill uh, with uh, Sarah Ebarb, Eb, Eb Sabrina May, and Mark Newcomb. And they were talking about the use of a structural fi- fiber in uh, mm-hmm. the impact of that in uh, mortality and removal of pigs, in nursery pigs. 
So they used different types of fibers, but the one that had a better response, it was a, a wheat mitts. And they had a very interesting reduction in the mortality and removals on those trials. So you see, you, people say, oh, pig, pigs don't need fiber. It's like depends on the fiber. Not all fiber is good. Right. That's why a lot of people today use oats for, for nursery mm-hmm. diets. You know? I was talking to somebody saying, you know, I need my fiber. I need to eat my oats. And then you look at crude fiber on oats. It's not crude fiber. It's not crude fiber the problem there. Just, just don't go I there. eat oats. I have to have my oats, ladies and gentlemen. So if you get a nursery diet for me, it has steamrolled oats in it. So there you go. And I think that I have a lot of other things, but I think that was interesting. And one interesting one that I saw in a poster that it was from the university in uh, South Korea, Bangkok University. And they were talking about the use of homeopathic products in finishing animals. And I'll tell you that uh, this was very interesting for me because when I was in Brazil, we had use of uh, someone that was uh, medicating the animals with homeopathy, Mm -hmm. which was quite interesting. In uh, in the company I work, we would would receive the liquid product from uh, the homeopathic pharmacy, and then we would put with dextrose to send to the farms. And they had some interesting results. This is the abstract, uh, I cannot say, I don't think they have a number, but it was quite interesting. And the author is Hume Du Park. Well, there's always some really good data that comes out of that lab. I can't think of the professor's name. Bob you, Bob Kim. Yes, Bob Kim's lab. He was the, he was my colleague at the University of Kentucky. That's what I thought. Did he study at K State though too? If I remember, no, he said st- he did his PhD at the University of Kentucky, and then he moved to. University of Illinois and work with the Henstein and a postdoc there. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. I got, I got him on a part of my PhD and he finished later. But he's cool. a super smart guy. Super smart. Well, we're about out of time. Any last minute thoughts? I didn't see everything I would like to have seen. There were a lot of good information, a lot of interesting information. It might not be something that you're going to sell. But it doesn't matter. I think it is all, it, all the information that you see in a conference like this, they are all go to your mind and it will increase your, increase your knowledge about the business that you are in. And it's going to move you forward. That way or not. There's no I'm not question. Sure if that. you're in a farrowing house today or you're sitting in a boardroom, there was something yeah. for everyone there to help them improve. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you very much. Wow, what a great wrap-up. I can't believe March is gone and Midwest Animal Science is in the books again. I hope you enjoyed our highlights from the meetings, and I can't wait to hear the research next year when we can meet back in person. So, before we go, please sign up for our newsletter if you haven't on our website, therealp3.com. And if you want to be a guest star, please let me know. But thank you to our sponsors, the Sunswine Group, Nutrisign, Swine Nutrition Management, and Pig Progress. And as always, if you get a chance, 
hug a pig today for me.